Hey everybody, thanks for joining us here on Bikes and Big Ideas on the Blister Podcast Network. I'm David Golay, the bike editor at Blister, and you can check out everything we're doing and reviewing over at blisterreview.com. Okay, so this week our guest on the show is Chris Smith, the head of laser marketing for Shimano North America, and he's here to talk about the new Kineticore rotational impact protection technology that Laser has just launched. It's a really interesting idea that has some pretty cool implications for how helmets can be designed in the future, and we've also got one of their new Jackal Kineticore helmets into tests, so we'll chat a little bit about that too. But before we get into the conversation, we should also point out that this is a really good companion piece to the series on helmet protection that we did on our Gear 30 podcast last summer with a number of different manufacturers. And so if you haven't heard those already, we'd encourage you to check them out and we'll link to them in the show notes so you can find those episodes as well. And with that, let's get right into my conversation with Chris Smith from Laser. Well, Chris, great to have you here. Thanks for coming on Bikes and Big Ideas. How are you today and where are you today? Uh, thanks for the invite, David. I'm, I'm uh, happy to join. Uh, I am located in Minneapolis, Minnesota. Uh, so uh, the company I work for, uh, Shimano, uh, and uh, representing laser products. Uh, Shimano is based in Southern California, but uh, I'm fortunate enough to uh, be able to work remotely uh, out of my home office here in Minneapolis. Right on. Well, thanks for taking the time to chat. And Kind of a timely one because Laser has just launched this pretty interesting new helmet tech, Kineticore. And so to start it off, why don't you tell us just a bit about what Kineticore is and what the thinking was behind developing it? Sure. Well, the most important thing to know about uh, helmets is uh, what, what uh, historically helmets have done very well uh, and what they have uh, kind of done uh, poorly uh, at in terms of uh, cycling protection. So uh, uh, bicycle helmets uh, have, have uh, uh, always been fairly effective at protecting the cyclist from a, a uh, direct uh, or linear impact. And that's a force that's coming into the helmet from a single direction. Uh, the helmet does its job by uh, kind of absorbing that force uh, and distributing that energy uh, around the outside of the uh, helmet shell uh, or the expanded polystyrene foam of the helmet will compress or crack or distort uh, and absorb that energy and, and prevent that force from, from reaching the rider's head and potentially causing a contusion or, or a skull fracture. Uh, where helmets have traditionally done poorly is in protecting the cyclist's head from the effects of an oblique impact or uh, a rotational impact. Uh, and that is uh, a force that's coming into the, to the uh, exterior of the helmet from multiple directions, uh, which can cause the, uh, the helmet uh, to uh, undergo a, a rotation. And uh, if, if there's not some kind of technology built into the helmet to isolate the rider's head from the effects of that rotation, then that energy can be transmitted to the interior of the helmet and that rotational force, uh, uh, again, can be transmitted to the, to the cyclist's head. Uh, because of the biology of the head and the way the brain uh, is kind of suspended uh, within the cerebral spinal fluid uh, inside the skull, there can be a delayed reaction between uh, the cyclist's head rotating and the brain kind of catching up uh, to that rotation. And, and all of this happens in just a fraction of a second. 
but if the cyclist's head is, uh, is uh, allowed to uh, rotate and, and has to absorb uh, all of that energy, uh, it can cause a, a stretching or a distortion of uh, the, the brain material, which can cause bleeding in the brain, uh, or else uh, also uh, uh, very seriously, uh, the brain can actually impact uh, the interior of the skull. Uh, uh, during that uh, uh, rotational uh, uh, movement uh, and, and can also cause uh, bruising and, and uh, bleeding on the brain. And, and again, because of the biology of the, of the head, there's nowhere for that blood to go. Uh, and that starts to put pressure on the uh, brain and, and it can very, very rapidly uh, 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 develop into a, a, a very serious medical issue. So uh, over the ta uh, last 10 years, uh, uh, various technologies have been developed uh, to create a way to try and isolate the cyclist's head from the effects of that uh, rotational energy. And uh, there's, there's a number of, of different uh, protection technologies on the market. Uh, two uh, uh, most uh, familiar to consumers would be MIPS, uh, which stands for Multiple Direction uh, impact protection system uh, and wave cell, uh, which is a technology found in uh, the Trek uh, Bontrager lineup helmets. And both of those technologies were uh, 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 created again to absorb or redirect uh, that rotational energy that's coming into the exterior of the helmet and, and help protect the cyclist's head. And they've been proven uh, by a third party uh, testing agency. Uh, to be very effective uh, at, at reducing uh, the, the risk of that rotational uh, injury. That third-party testing agency is, is uh, Virginia Tech University. Uh, they developed a, a, a testing protocol uh, originally for football helmets. Uh, they test other sports the helmets and got into testing uh, cycling helmets uh, as well for their ability to protect the wearer from the effects of, of both direct and uh, oblique or, or rotational energy. And again, both the MIPS and wave cell protection technologies have been proven uh, to be effective uh, at, at uh, uh, helping to protect the cyclists uh, um, uh, from the, the effects of that uh, rotational impact. So where uh, uh, do those uh, systems kind of uh, um, uh, I don't want to say break down, but what are the disadvantages of those systems? Well, the first is that uh, to date, to build a, a rotational protection system into a cycling helmet, you have to add this technology into the helmet. You're adding more material uh, to the internal of the uh, 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 makeup of the helmet in order to build this protection technology into it. And by adding material to include this protection technology, uh, you're increasing the overall weight of the helmet uh, and using more uh, plastics uh, uh, in, in uh, the construction of the helmet. So uh, uh, fundamentally adding uh, weight to the rider's head in order to, to build this protection system in and, and adding plastics to the environment by uh, increasing the amount of material that's used in, in helmet construction. Uh, the other problem is uh, a potential discomfort uh, to the rider in a couple of ways. The protection system built into the helmet may uh, interfere with the exterior vents on the helmet and might prevent uh, air, uh, easy airflow from coming uh, into the internal uh, area of the helmet. Uh, also, if there's any air channels built into the EPS foam of the helmet, 
the protection technology might cover up those air channels and uh, reduce or eliminate the ability of air to easily flow uh, across the rider's head and exit out the back of the helmet. So uh, a, a cyclist uh, head overheating uh, 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 can be a, 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 a result of, of, of those technologies built in the helmet, just uh, rider discomfort from having a, a hot helmet on their head. Uh, additionally, uh, for, for cyclists with longer hair, they may find their hair getting caught up in this protection technology or the anchor points that are used to, to mount this technology into the helmet. So when they take the helmet off their head, uh, they might find um, the helmet pulling uh, their hair off their head, uh, which is uh, another uh, uh, uncomfortable uh, sensation when you're taking your helmet off. Uh, so um, the goal uh, with laser uh, and our new uh, uh, protection technology uh, was to uh, offer that same level of top-rated protection that you see uh, with the other technologies on the market, but try and address some of these shortcomings uh, that, that uh, we have found and, and consumers have complained about uh, with these other technologies. And again, I don't want to take anything away from uh, uh, technologies like MIPS and WaveCell because they have been proven to be effective. Uh, MIPS technology has been used in, in laser products for the last decade. Uh, in fact, uh, exactly 10 years ago, laser introduced the first uh, in-mold cycling helmets uh, to include MIPS technology, uh, as well as the first uh, cycling helmets for children to include uh, MIPS technology. So it's always been very important for laser to, to pursue uh, 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 protection technology uh, uh, for all types of cyclists in, in all segments of cycling uh, to, to, to best protect uh, the, the, uh, the cyclist. But uh, again, um, how can laser uh, improve upon that technology in terms of uh, reducing the overall weight of the helmet, using less plastics in manufacturing, improving airflow and overall rider comfort? So that's what we uh, are, are uh, providing with the new Kinetacore technology. And I can go into more detail regarding what that is and, and, and how it works, but that, that fundamentally is the goal that, that was being pursued with Kinetacore. Deliver that same top level uh, of protection while addressing some of the, uh, the, the other issues and, and shortcomings uh, of existing technology. Yeah, we'll go into a bit more about what Kinetacore actually is and how it the design works in just a minute here, but there are a couple things I wanted to touch on from what you already yeah. said first. So uh, first off, you mentioned kind of the thing with some folks with longer hair often getting that tangled up in MIPS liners and the like, and uh, that totally checks out. But I actually sort of have the opposite problem as a guy with a shaved head. I tend to find that at least certain implementations of MIPS liners often result in you being able to kind of feel the shell of the helmet moving against the MIPS liner over the top of my scalp and that doesn't feel great either so that one kind of cuts both ways and then there's certainly some variation in uh certain mips implementations are better than others on that front um, it's not like they're all totally a monolithic thing i actually haven't tried a wave cell helmet yet but kind of curious about that one hopefully check it out at some point but i wanted to go a bit deeper on what you said about the helmets historically being pretty good at taking straight on impacts, but is not as good in rotational situations. And I'm hardly expert in this, but my understanding is that most of the certification tests for the, be it the EU one or the CPSC standard in the US are only testing for straight on impacts and not doing any attempted at testing for rotational impacts. Is that correct? 
That is correct. Uh, and it's a regrettable aspect of, of the current governmental helmet testing standards. Uh, they set up a, a baseline uh, um, amount of energy that they put into the helmet and a maximum amount of energy that they want to detect uh, on the interior of the helmet. And then they basically run a, a simple drop test where they either have the helmet uh, stationary and they drop a weight on the exterior of the helmet, or they have a, uh, a, a, a central point, uh, a fixed point that they drop the helmet uh, onto. Uh, and the sensor inside the helmet will measure the amount of force that comes into the helmet. Uh, but you're correct. It's, it's basically a, a direct impact, a linear impact. Uh, and uh, in, in our opinion, Laser's opinion, uh, whether you're talking about the, 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 uh, e, uh, the, the CE testing standard that's used in Europe uh, or the CPSC, uh, Consumer Product Safety Commission testing standard used in, in uh, North America, or the Australian New Zealand testing standard, uh, uh, all of those are basically measuring the same thing. And that's the ability of the helmet to, to absorb a certain amount of energy from a direct impact. And they're not uh, uh, testing for uh, oblique or rotational uh, impacts. Uh, there is an organization in Europe uh, that is made up of uh, engineers uh, from, from uh, the rotation, uh, the current rotation protection technology uh, companies, as well as helmet manufacturing companies that are working on developing a new certification standard specifically for rotational impact. Uh, but uh, uh, that group continues to meet and discuss what those parameters uh, will uh, ultimately be for that uh, testing standard. Uh, but LASER does have a member of its engineering team on that uh, 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 board or, or working with that group. So that once that uh, testing standard has been finalized and implemented, uh, LASER will be, uh, um, I assume they're already working on it, uh, testing uh, standards and certification, but, uh, but you can be sure that whatever new testing standard comes out from this group, uh, LASER helmets will be uh, uh, built to uh, meet or exceed that testing standard as they have with the, uh, the current governmental testing standards. And on the note of the current governmental testing standards, as you noted, there are a number of different ones for different regions of the world, which are testing for roughly the same thing, but the actual test protocols and criteria are a bit different. And so how do you at Laser think about designing helmets for various parts of the world that are going to be subject to different requirements on that front? And kind of how do you tackle that problem more broadly? Well, it's pretty easy uh, uh, to address that problem when you're looking at uh, kind of um, uh, economy helmets, price point helmets, uh, where the consumer is kind of looking to spend a maximum amount of money and, and uh, uh, buying a helmet that meets a certification standard, but, but uh, is also uh, kind of doing it on a, on a, a, a budget. Um, uh, in that particular case, you basically build the helmet to pass the most stringent testing standard which of the three I mentioned, uh, the Australia-New Zealand testing standard is the most stringent. So you build the helmet to pass that testing standard and you deliver that product uh, globally uh, because since it passes the most stringent testing standard, it's also gonna pass the CPSC and the CE testing standard uh, and you, you, you know, kind of provide the same product. It gets a little bit more tricky when you are looking at the uh, upper echelon of, of uh, uh, helmet uh, price points because consumers are a little bit more 
discriminating regarding what they're looking for in the performance of the helmet, uh, specifically in regards to weight. The way to pass a more stringent certification test is to add more foam to the helmet. Adding more foam to the helmet, more materials to the helmet, is it going to increase the weight of the helmet? So again, at the upper price point, uh, you can't just make one helmet that passes uh, uh, the most stringent certification standard and expect that helmet to be successful in more competitive markets uh, because it's going to weigh more uh, than, than the competition. So uh, in the case of laser, and I can't uh, speak to other manufacturers, I expect that they're probably doing uh, uh, one of two things, uh, which I'll get to in a moment. But uh, laser uh, historically has built the same model helmet in three different molds or, you know, basically de delivered three different uh, versions of the same helmet, depending upon the market where that helmet is going to be shipped into and sold. So uh, if you're looking at our, our high-end road helmet, uh, uh, the Genesis, there is a Genesis built to pass the Australian testing standard. There's a Genesis uh, built to pass the CPSE testing standard, which is called the G1 uh, in North America. And then there's a Genesis uh, built to pass the CE testing standard. All three of those helmets have different weights. Uh, and they are designed to pass the certification standard while still being competitive uh, in the marketplace. Uh, other manufacturers uh, are either doing that same thing, uh, building helmets specific to the market that they're going to be shipped into, or they're just not manufacturing a helmet to be sold within a, a market that has a more stringent testing standard. And uh, you can go to Eurobike and walk around that show and see helmet manufacturers. If you've, if you've, uh, if you're a U.S. citizen, you're familiar with the U.S. bike market. You'll walk around that show and you'll see helmets from manufacturers that you've never heard of, because they they are perfectly happy with their uh, the uh, the helmets that they manufacture and 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 sell, uh, basically meeting the CE testing standard. Uh, that's that's good enough for them, and they're they're not going to pursue uh, helmets that meet the CPSC or the Australian testing standard. Uh, they manufacture their helmet to pass the CE standard, and the, and they're good with that. Uh, but if you want to if you want to be competitive in the global marketplace, you have to deliver helmets that uh, not only pass the testing standard but uh, are also competitive in the market, and that means an additional investment uh, in manufacturing to to build uh, helmets. Uh, uh, using molds uh, that that will uh, deliver a product that that meets that certification standard within the country it's being sold into. That's super interesting, and certainly seems like it would, as you kind of alluded to, really add quite a bit of complexity and cost to the whole supply chain and manufacturing of them, and having to design three different helmets and all the rest. And one thing I'm curious about from all of that too is that you kind of said that the Australia New Zealand standard is the most stringent of the three and that uh, if you want to just design a helmet that'll pass all three you can kind of shoot for that one and feel pretty assured that it'll work for the US and EU ones as well but I was going to ask is there sort of any particular scenario in which shooting for that higher standard uh, is in any way detrimental to the testing performance in the other ones. I, I it could imagine at least being the case that, for example, if you have a test that's really focused on particularly high impacts, then building a helmet that is sort of 
beefed up to the point that it withstands those adequately could potentially mean that it is a little bit less protective for smaller impacts or something along those lines. Obviously, I'm not a helmet engineer. I'm kind of shooting in the dark here a little bit, but I'm just curious how that all interplays and kind of how that tends to work out. Yeah, well, I'm not a a helmet engineer either. And and luckily for us, uh, Laser does uh, uh, have helmet engineers. They have their own drop test facility, uh, both at the uh, office in Belgium, as well as the uh, uh, manufacturing uh, factory. Uh, And they know all of the certification testing standards that helmets have to meet. Uh, so again, without being a helmet engineer uh, uh, in kind of the uh, the, the computer uh, designing of the helmet, uh, they can they can kind of uh, simulate what the test uh, will look like in a real world environment, uh, build a prototype of the helmet, test that helmet to the three different certification standards, and assure that the helmet uh, is not overbuilt for. Uh, one market uh, at, at the risk of performance for uh, another market, uh, and, and I mean performance uh, uh, protection-wise. Um, again, without having the specific detail of each of these governmental testing standards, there's not a huge variation between the amount of, of uh, uh, impact force uh, that these that these various testing agencies are are, are looking at. Um, so it, it, it doesn't really require a, a, a kind of a, a, a wholesale uh, a, a re-engineering of the product in order to pass uh, the Australian standard versus the, the CE standard. Uh, you're talking about tens of grams of difference when the product uh, comes to market. But, you know, as you know, uh, consumers, uh, when they're spending uh, $150, $200, $250 on a helmet, uh, they're very interested in what the bottom line weight of that helmet is going to be. And if they're spending X amount on one helmet uh, and the competitor's product at that same price delivers the same level of protection but is 50 grams lighter weight, uh, it can be a pretty easy decision for that consumer uh, regarding which helmet that they're uh, going to pursue. So uh, it's... it's uh, uh, there is a lot of engineering that goes into it, a lot of, uh, uh, like I said, prototyping and, and pre-production uh, helmet uh, uh, engineering that, that goes into it, and a lot of this uh, self-testing uh, before they bring the product to market. But, uh, but uh, I'm, 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 I'm pretty confident, uh, based on what I've seen in my familiarization with laser and their engineers and their testing, that, uh, that the helmets uh, are going to do the job that they're, they're certified to do. Yeah, well, and that little bit on weight kind of segues us nicely back into Kineticor, since as you mentioned up top, making a lighter version of a rotational impact protection system that still offers that good protection is kind of the primary goal. So we we kind of danced around this, so why don't you take us through now more specifically what Kineticor is and how it's designed and how it works? Sure. Well, again, as opposed to uh, uh, protection technologies built into helmet to date where you're adding material into the helmet in order to build that kind of that isolation zone between the cyclist's head and the uh, uh, exterior of the helmet, with Kineticore, you're, you're building this, this protection technology into the helmet itself, into the uh, expanded polystyrene foam. Uh, and the way that works, it's very easy to see when you look at the interior of a laser helmet with the, the Kineticore system built into it. It's a, a, a block and channel system 
that's molded into the uh, helmet foam uh, during construction. Uh, and it's kind of a very complex uh, a series of different shaped blocks, uh, different uh, uh, channel depths uh, and directions. Uh, and uh, basically what it's designed to do, uh, not unlike what you see in modern uh, automobiles where they build uh, uh, energy absorption areas uh, into the vehicle, uh, called crumple zones. Uh, it's the same theory that that uh, lasers pursuing with Kinetico, where they're building these crumple zones uh, into the foam of the helmet. And again, they're doing this by molding these blocks and channels into the helmet, which actually at the at the uh, end of the manufacturing process uses less expanded polystyrene foam than a traditional bicycle helmet uh, to build these crumple zones into the into the helmet, so that in the event of a direct or uh, oblique or rotational impact, uh, the blocks and channels of these crumple zones will distort, uh, break, uh, compress, uh, uh, crack or crumble and serve to uh, reduce the uh, uh, amount of energy, the amount of force that's coming into the uh, uh, interior of the helmet and thereby offer the, uh, the the cyclist that that additional protection by by reducing the amount of force that's coming into the uh, uh, interior of the helmet. So I, again, it's it's pretty striking to look at when you when you just flip the helmet over and look at it because it's a very complex uh, series of these uh, blocks and channels uh, that are molded into the foam in order to build these crumple zones, uh, uh, these uh, uh, kinetic or crumple zones uh, into the helmet. So the result of that uh, is uh, you, you're building the protection into the helmet, but by not adding anything uh, uh, to, to build this rotational protection into the helmet, you're not adding more materials, you're not increasing the amount of plastics that are used, you're not increasing the overall weight of the helmet, uh, quite the opposite, uh, you're, you're removing material uh, in order to, to build this protection technology into a kinetic or helmet, and that ultimately yields a, a lighter weight helmet uh, as compared to a, a similar product without this technology built into it. Yeah. And we'll put a bunch of photos of a kinetic core helmet in the show notes to help people kind of understand what we're talking about here. But like you said, I think uh, some visuals really go a long way with this one. But yeah, like you said, basically it's a, the inner portion of the foam in the helmet is comprised of rather than kind of a solid, smooth surface that sits against your head uniformly. You've got all these little blocks and channels, as you put it. And it's a kind of deceptively clever idea, but then makes a lot of sense in that you've got this ability for the foam itself to handle uh, dissipating some rotational impact by having those blocks deform laterally into the space that the channels have left open. And so you don't have to have an extra liner or anything along those lines that kind of handles that shearing and slip as just baked right into the helmet shell itself. So, I mean, makes a lot of sense. It's a cool idea. One thing I am a little curious about, though, is that you mentioned earlier that sort of in general, adding foam to a helmet is how you go about increasing the level of impact protection on offer, just building it out. And this is something that we've heard talking to other helmet manufacturers. Also, we did a series on our Gear 30 podcast with a few other helmet manufacturers in the snow sports space, mostly uh, last summer. And you know, uh, Pac off the top of my head said the same thing that just making helmets bigger, more voluminous and heavier makes it easier to make them more protective. And so 
how does this concept of removing a bit of material from the inside of the shell impact the straight on impact performance of these helmets? Well, uh, the, the way you address that is uh, 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 assuring that the helmets pass uh, the current uh, stated governmental testing uh, standards for uh, linear uh, impact. Uh, and I can tell you that, that uh, laser products have not only uh, uh, met the governmental testing standards, but they've always exceeded that, that testing standard to, to build that, that extra level of, of uh, rider protection into, into the helmets. Uh, and again, that's all uh, uh, tested during the during the uh, design and pre-production and, and prototyping phase uh, with the drop testing that is done uh, internally to assure that the helmets uh, uh, will uh, meet uh, uh, at a minimum. But but uh, again, in the case of laser, exceed those governmental testing standards uh, uh, as a helmet manufacturing company. The number one goal of laser is always best available rider protection. Uh, so uh, the, the whole goal with Kineticor was to uh, uh, build in some of these performance advantages without sacrificing uh, the level of protection for the rider. Um, so again, the, the Kineticor design uh, exceeds the current governmental testing standard for uh, direct or uh, linear impact. And then uh, uh, on top of that, uh, addressing uh, the, the, the more complex uh, rotational or oblique impacts, um, uh, 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 Laser did a, a, a lot of uh, computer rendering, uh, computer testing, and then real-world uh, uh, drop testing, and, and uh, uh, specifically looking at rotational impact in order to uh, originally develop uh, and design and prototype uh, the early versions of the Kineticor system. And then uh, when, when uh, the engineers got to a point of confidence, actually building a prototype of this helmet and supplying it to Virginia Tech and asking them to run through their testing protocol uh, to assure that what the, the engineers uh, at Laser were uh, uh, feeling that they were uh, onto in regards to you know the, the the design that they were pursuing for Kineticor, did the results that the laser engineers found on their side actually bear out with the the uh, battery of tests that Virginia Tech runs uh, on direct and and rotational impact, uh, and it was a back and forth. Numerous uh, designs and prototypes uh, were supplied for for testing, uh, and and got to the point where uh, not only did uh, the uh, uh, testing come back for Virginia Tech uh, in a satisfactory way, but all, uh, 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 well, both of the, the road uh, Kineticor helmets came back with the five-star best available uh, rating from Virginia Tech. Uh, the mountain bike helmet, the, the, the Jackal Kineticor also came back with the five-star uh, best available uh, uh, rating from Virginia Tech. And then there's a new uh, urban commuter helmet, uh, uh, the uh, Citizen Kineticor, that came back with a four-star, uh, what Virginia Tech refers to as their very good uh, protection rating. Virginia Tech recommends the purchase of any four- or five-star rated helmet. So all of the adult uh, uh, helmet models, the four adult helmet models coming with Kineticor, um, that, that Citizen has the four-star, and then the uh, the other three helmets, the, the mountain bike helmet and the two road helmets, all come back with the five-star best available uh, uh, certification uh, rating from, from Virginia Tech. Uh, I should also mention that there's two children helmets 
that are coming uh, with Kineticore Helmet for a total of, of six new models for this year. Uh, regrettably, Virginia Tech only has the ability to test a size medium adult helmet. So uh, Virginia Tech doesn't have any uh, ratings for, for uh, kids' helmets yet. Uh, hopefully that's something that, that will come. Uh, and uh, you can be sure that our, our kids' helmets will also uh, test uh, very favorably uh, with uh, Virginia Tech uh, uh, when they get to the point of testing kids' helmets. Um, but we're, we're very happy with, uh, uh, with the results that, that we've uh, seen come back uh, with the Kineticore helmets uh, uh, that have gone through the Virginia Tech testing. Yeah, I mean, that, that all makes sense. And at some point, if you're testing well, you've, you've got it worked out, I guess. Uh, one other thing I'm curious about with Kineticore is that you've got this series of blocks and channels again throughout the helmet that are meant to handle the rotational impacts in large part. And I'd be curious for your thoughts on what those do in terms of kind of the likelihood of the helmet incurring damage in the event of an impact. You have these smaller blocks that are in some way seemingly theoretically a little less substantial than the normal shell of a helmet. And just curious for what you think about how that differs. Yeah, we've had a, a fair uh, number of questions about that from our, our uh, territory sales force and the retailers that they're working with. Uh, you, you know, you flip that helmet over and you see what's going on uh, with the, the complexity of the kinetic or system. Uh, uh, we're regularly questioned, you know, is this helmet more fragile? Uh, and the reality is it's, it's not. Uh, it's just as durable as a, uh, as a, a, a cycling helmet without the kinetic core technology. Uh, but uh, one thing that's important to uh, uh, call out is that it will be uh, much more obvious when a Kineticore helmet has suffered a catastrophic impact uh, because you will be able to very easily spot those blocks that have been compressed or distorted or broken. Uh, it will be easier to find cracks in the uh, channeling uh, in between the blocks. Uh, again, a, a Kineticore helmet that has undergone a, a catastrophic impact and should be replaced, it's going to be very obvious for the consumer to see that. Uh, and the concern that, that I have uh, is that uh, I, I guarantee you there's, there's not a small number of consumers that are out riding around today in helmets that have undergone a catastrophic impact and the consumer has no idea because uh, there's, there's something built into the helmet that's covering up the foam that uh, shows that damage that the consumer can't see, uh, be it compression or, or cracking or some kind of distortion, uh, the consumer just can't identify it, or uh, uh, that cracking or compression is uh, on the exterior of the helmet foam, uh, hidden underneath the polycarbonate shell of the helmet, and it's just impossible for the consumer to know uh, by visually inspecting the helmet, whether or not their helmet should be replaced. It absolutely should be, but there, there's really no easy way for a consumer to look at their helmet and see uh, uh, whether or not their helmet should be uh, replaced. And with Kineticore, again, it's not more fragile, but you are going to be uh, a better able to determine when your helmet has taken a big hit and should be replaced because uh, the, the blocks and channels of the kinetic are going to show the evidence of the catastrophic damage and, and be a very obvious indicator to the consumer that the helmet has done its job and should be retired and replaced. Yeah, that totally checks out to me. And the reality is that any bike helmet, kinetic or otherwise, should get replaced after a major impact regardless. And so 
having that damage be more visibly obvious actually could legitimately be a safety feature in that it would make it more clear to folks that they really do need to replace that helmet. And um, like you said, yeah, having the more obvious deformation of the blocks, having no interior liner apart from the normal removable padding that's covering up the foam so that you can peel that off and take a better look all is helpful to that end. And so that fully checks out. Definitely buy that. So you already touched a bit on the full lineup, but let's go a little bit deeper on the Jekyll specifically, since we're kind of largely mountain bike focused over here at Blister. So uh, tell us a bit more about that helmet specifically. And if I have it right, it's replacing a an older MIPS version of the Jackal. And so run us through kind of how they differ and what's going on with the new one. Sure. Well, that's uh, what's what's been interesting about uh, the, the the of the six new models uh, coming with Kineticor. Uh, the Jackal Kineticor is the only model that is directly replacing uh, a helmet that's, that was equipped with MIPS. So you really get a one to one comparison regarding what uh, uh, what you're getting with the, the Jackal Kineticor uh, helmet. Uh, as compared to the uh, the helmet that it's replacing in the line. So most importantly, what are you getting? You're still getting that top-rated protection uh, with the Jackal Kineticor versus the Jackal MIPS. Uh, again, the Jackal Kineticor helmet uh, has been rated with the five-star uh, best available protection, uh, uh, which the Jackal MIPS uh, also had. Um, so it's very important to keep in mind that you're not sacrificing anything in terms of, of uh, protection from uh, linear or rotational impacts uh, with the Jackal Kineticor helmet. Um, both of these uh, models uh, uh, have uh, the Virginia Tech five-star rating. So one-to-one comparison, just as good a protection with the Jackal Kineticor as you as you saw with the Jackal MIPS. So then you're looking at the the uh, additional benefits that the Kineticor system builds into the helmet. Um, uh, we mentioned the the uh, reduction of materials that are used because you're not adding anything to the helmet to build in that extra protection system. Uh, in fact, you're removing material thanks to the blocks and channels of Kineticor. So uh, at the end of the day, the uh, Jackal Kineticor is 50 grams lighter weight than the uh, Jackal MIPS uh, helmet is. Uh, and the, uh, the uh, uh, journalists that have uh, gotten the, these helmets for uh, testing and review, uh, the, the staff uh, inside Shimano that we've been able to supply with this helmet, uh, uh, really kind of universally, uh, uh, the, the, the weight reduction in this helmet has been really noticeable when you, uh, when you put this helmet on, on your head. Uh, as compared to the the model that it replaces. Additionally, because you don't have the the plastic liner uh, built uh, into the interior of the helmet serving as that slip plane, uh, all of the vents are wide open and unobstructed. You get plenty of air coming into those vents. uh, Because the EPS foam is uh, uh, open uh, uh, and those channels allow for the uh, easy airflow, you get plenty of air uh, flowing uh, over the rider's head and, and exiting out the back of the helmet. Uh, so uh, increased ventilation, increased uh, cooling, uh, much more uh, comfortable uh, helmet. Uh, the same team that worked to develop the Kineticor system also has done a lot of work on uh, helmet ventilation as far as the, the design of the vents, the, the size and the shape and the position on the helmet. 
as well as internal uh, 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 molding and, and uh, channeling in the expanded polystyrene foam inside the helmet. And they, uh, they've done a lot of work uh, on uh, helmet ventilation and helmet cooling. They actually have a, a head form with, with uh, thermal sensors built into it so they can kind of create a, a baseline uh, head form temperature and then determine uh, the, the, the cooling performance of the helmet once they put the, the helmet on that head form and start to pull air uh, across the outer surface of the helmet. Uh, and in comparison to the to the model that it, that it replaces the jackal kinetochore is, is actually five percent uh, better cooling uh, than the uh, jackal MIPS model that that it replaces, which means that uh, they've they've uh, detected using this head form with the the uh, uh, thermal sensors on it that uh, it actually cools the head five uh, percent more effectively uh, than the uh, the jackal MIPS helmet uh, with the, the new jackal kinetochore. So uh, that same top rate of protection, uh, uh, 50 grams lighter weight, 5% better cooling, uh, and uh, the, the uh, accompanying uh, reduced plastic uh, uh, going into the uh, uh, environment. Uh, those are all thanks to the, the kinetic core technology. Uh, in addition to that, uh, it's using the TurnSys retention system, which anybody that has a familiarity with laser knows. Uh, the way the retention systems are designed. Uh, it distributes the load of the retention all the way around the circumference of the rider's head to try and avoid any pressure points or hot spots. It's easily adjusted uh, via a dial uh, at the back of the helmet. Uh, so, um, you know, with just uh, two fingers of one hand, you can reach back and, and adjust the retention of the helmet. Uh, and that delivers a, a very uh, easy to adjust and comfortable fit. Uh, the Jackal Kinetochore has a magnetic buckle, so it's very easy to close the straps, even with full-fingered gloves. I don't know if you've uh, had any experience with those magnetic buckles, but they're really extraordinary how those two pieces just kind of find each other uh, when you get them close to each other, and the, the buckle uh, almost kind of automatically closes itself. Uh, and then uh, uh, improved goggle strap gri grippers on the back of the helmet. Um, we did get some feedback with the original Jackal MIPS that some riders like to position their goggle straps in different places. So we've added additional uh, uh, grippers to the back of the helmet in order to hold the goggle straps in place. Uh, there's some kind of carve outs uh, in the molding on the front of the helmet uh, to keep the shell of the helmet from interfering uh, with uh, the, the uh, uh, temple pieces on, on traditional uh, eyewear. Uh, so better eyewear compatibility, fully adjustable visor, uh, and then the only other thing I want to call out is the uh, uh, there's a Velcro accessory mount that comes with the Jackal Kinetochore that allows you to attach an, an action camera or a headlight uh, to the exterior of the helmet. And uh, the Jackal Kinetochore uh, comes with that Velcro mount, uh, but the helmet itself has something called the safety mounting system built into it. And this is not new to Jackal Kinetochore. It's something the Jackal MIPS had. Uh, it's something that the Impala MIPS uh, helmet, uh, kind of the next level down uh, in uh, Laser's mountain bike helmet offering uh, has. Uh, what the safety mounting system is, it's a protection system built into the shell of the helmet so that the helmet passes the certification test with the accessory mount and the accessory on the helmet. Meaning... When you attach an accessory onto the helmet, you're, you're, you're creating a, a, a kind of a hazard zone on that helmet, the size of where the accessory uh, uh, mounting uh, uh, bracket is attached so that in the event of an impact, 
you have a lot of force going into a very small area of the helmet. And with the safety mounting system, uh, it's designed so that in the event of an impact, uh, instead of the 100% of that load being concentrated into that very small area, uh, that, that mounting system is designed to distribute that load around the periphery of the helmet and reduce or eliminate the risk of that accessory mount or the accessory intruding into the interior of the helmet and potentially causing a, a head injury. This was developed uh, very quickly after the uh, uh, accident with Michael Schumacher, the uh, Formula One driver who was uh, skiing with his family with a GoPro camera uh, mounted to his ski helmet, uh, 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 crashed, landed on, on the helmet with the accessory, uh, and it was actually the, the accessory mount and the, the camera that intruded into the interior of his helmet and caused his, his head injury. Uh, very quickly following that, the CEO of Laser uh, directed his engineers that any future helmets that came with either a direct mount built into the helmet or an accessory that came with the helmet, the helmet had to be designed in such a way to uh, reduce uh, or eliminate the risk of that accessory mount or that accessory intruding into the helmet. So that additional protection is built into the Jackal Kineticore helmet as well as any other laser helmet uh, that is coming with an accessory mount uh, included in the uh, in the box. Yeah, that's a nice touch and something that I think is kind of easy to not think about or overlook, but definitely makes sense that having something strapped onto the top of the helmet is not necessarily going to help with impact protection. So nice touch there. Yeah, again, as a, as a, as a uh, company building cycling protection, we don't want to include any accessories that uh, might call into question the hel helmet's ability to protect the rider. So uh, again, for, for, for this system, uh, we wanted to, to make sure that we built in a way that, uh, that provided some flexibility and accessories uh, to the helmet, but, but uh, did not uh, call into question the helmet's ability to help protect the cyclist. Yeah, very much makes sense. And I've got a couple of rides in the Jackal Kineticore now. And unfortunately, I have not tried the uh, prior Jackal MIPS to, in order to have a direct comparison. But notes so far are that it is notably fairly light for a larger coverage mountain bike helmet. And it does breathe and flow air really very well. So uh, impressed on those two fronts. And we'll have a lot more on it with a full review to come once I've been able to spend some more time in it. Well, I'm, I'm glad that you're finding the, uh, the, the benefits of Kineticore. Uh, hopefully you don't test it in, in, in terms of, <laughs> of rider protection. Uh, you know, even though we're building protection equipment, we always hope that our customers never actually have to test the helmet's ability to keep them protected. Uh, but I'm glad that you're, you're uh, so far seeing the, uh, the, other, the other benefits that the Kineticore technology uh, uh, hopefully delivers uh, to, to uh, all of the uh, consumers that uh, choose to, to acquire this product. Yeah, I'll try not to <laughs> test it too much further than that. But uh, yeah, so far, so good. And Chris, this has been a cool rundown of some pretty interesting new tech from you guys and appreciate all the insights. Before we let you go, though, we do like to wrap up by asking our guests if they've got a big idea to share. So do you have anything for us this week? Well, the only thing that comes to mind is uh, uh, what I'm hoping will be a takeaway uh, from all of our experience over the past two years dealing with this uh, global pandemic. Uh, I, I know in my case, it's it's allowed me to kind of step back a little bit and, and consider the things that are important in my life uh, and, and uh, kind of the limited amount of time that we all have to take advantage of 
the benefits of being alive uh, and uh, uh, enjoying uh, our uh, society and our environment. Uh, and if, if, if anything comes out of this pandemic that's positive, uh, I hope it just kind of serves as a reset for everybody to uh, appreciate the positive things that they get out of their uh, life, uh, out of their society, out of their environment, and really try and keep that in mind and take advantage uh, of, of everything that, that uh, is great uh, in this world. Uh, I, I, I mentioned uh, before we started recording that I, I tend to be a fairly pessimistic and cynical person, uh, but I've, I've been uh, uh, trying to uh, uh, keep, the, keep the positive things uh, more uh, front of mind uh, and uh, getting outside more, uh, enjoying time on my bike more, uh, and just enjoying the positive things out of life that, that hopefully uh, uh, people have, uh, uh, ha have experienced. Uh, during uh, the, the chaos, uh, disruption, and uh, uh, regrettably, a lot of tragedy that, that uh, has occurred over, over the past two years. But uh, I'm hoping that we're moving towards um, a better future uh, for all of us and uh, just work on uh, keeping positivity uh, in the forefront of, of, uh, of my mind. Um, that, that, that would be uh, uh, the message that I would have. Right on. Yeah. Cheers to that could absolutely co-sign that one and chris it's been great thanks for the rundown and all the information and great talking to you we'll do it again soon thanks david uh my my uh, uh last thing i'll leave uh, everybody with if they have uh, more uh, interest in checking out kineticor they can visit our site lasersport.us in the united states lasersport.ca uh, in canada uh, you'll be able to get more information and details on Kineticor and, and the entire laser product line. Uh, David, thanks for inviting me on. I really enjoyed this uh, this uh, uh, podcast episode. All right. That's it for this edition of Bikes and Big Ideas. And if you're enjoying these conversations, then we would really appreciate it if you would take just a quick moment to leave us a rating and review in Apple Podcasts to help keep the show going and growing. I also want to say thanks to Chris for the conversation. Thanks to Taylor Ahern for producing this episode. And thanks to you for listening. From all of us at Blister, please take good care of yourself and everybody else, and we will talk to you again very soon.